Welcome. Welcome back. Welcome home. This is Tracy, and we want to thank you for being a part of the Life Together podcast. Before we get into this week's teaching, we want you to know that you matter to God and you matter to us. Life Together is a Wednesday evening gathering for worship, Bible study, and community here at Oak Creek Assembly of God in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. We are starting tonight a brand new series, and we're going to be walking through the book of 1 Thessalonians. But I have a little side path I want to take before we get to 1 Thessalonians, so if you'll give me permission, I'm going to take about 10 minutes and go somewhere else, and then I promise I'm going to come back to 1 Thessalonians. Um, I want to open with five questions today, and I want to ask for your participation in this. And so what I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask uh, these five questions, and if you say yes to one of them, I'm going to ask that you stand up with me. And then once you've stood up, I'm just going to request that you stay standing up until all five questions are over. And I'm going to warn you in advance that the questions are a little bit personal, um, but I think we've created kind of a safe space here where we can be honest with each other and be supportive. And so if you'll join me on this, um, let's, let's start here. So question number one is, if you have ever experienced a natural disaster, flood, or fire that destroyed your home or endangered your safety, would you please stand? Thank you. If you or someone you love has had to fight a winning or a losing battle with cancer, would you please stand? If, you, if you've ever lost a spouse or someone that you've truly loved to death or divorce or heartbreak, would you please stand? If you or someone you love has had to cope with mental illness, physical disability, depression, or suicidal feelings, would you please stand? And if you've ever had a miscarriage, an abortion, or experienced the death of a child, would you please stand? So take a breath, and then go ahead and just take a second and look around the room. And if I was to make an observation of this room, I would observe that suffering is not rare, that suffering is common. I'll invite you to be seated. Uh, there's a, a lady by the name of Lucy Hohen, and she is uh, a self-named resiliency expert. So she's someone who studies resiliency and has written papers about this and done talks about this. And Resiliency doesn't ask the question of, is there suffering? But rather, resiliency asks the question of, what is the difference between those who thrive through suffering and those who are destroyed by it? So if I give you the anecdote of a lady who is attacked on her way coming home, well, there's one lady who has that experience, and the next day she goes out and buys a can of mace to attach to her keychain, and then she goes out and she starts taking Taekwondo classes, and she starts a nonprofit organization to help train young women to self-defend. And then there's another woman who has the exact same experience, and the next day she goes out and buys more locks for her house. 
and she locks herself in. She closes herself off from her friends and her family, and she lives years of her life in held-back fear. This is the question of resiliency, is what is the difference between people who thrive through suffering and those who are destroyed by it? So this author, Lucy Hone, came up with two answers, and these are the answers she came up with, is that one, resilient people accept suffering as part of life. Now, I don't know this author's faith beliefs, but if you think about it, this is a biblical principle. Back in December, we talked about how Jesus was the prince of peace, but how Jesus was not the prince of this earth. The title of prince of this earth was reserved for the devil. Why? Because this earth is messy. This earth is a place that exists with both the knowledge of good and the knowledge of evil. This earth is a place that has both sickness and health. It's a place that has both life and death. If you, you know, jump several decades into your future where you are now residing in heaven, and you're in heaven and you wake up one day and you realize there's a little tickle in your throat, and then for the first time, you cough, you'd be shocked because, first of all, that would never happen because there's no sickness in heaven, because heaven is perfect. It is a place that exists without sickness, and you could live there for eternity upon eternity and never have a cough because heaven is perfect. Well, friends... We don't live in heaven. We live here. And here, there is both good and evil. There is both sickness and health. There is both life and death. There is, last week, about 3 a.m. in the morning, my five-year-old ran into our bedroom and yelled, I'm hot, and then started throwing up all over the carpet. I can be sad about that. (laughs) I can be disappointed. I can be annoyed. I can be surprised. But I... I should not be shocked. Why? Because we live here on earth. And in earth, there is sickness and health. There is life and death. There is good and evil. And resilient people understand this. Resilient people come to accept this, to find peace, that suffering is a part of life. The other answer that she found is that resilient people are able to choose what they focus on. Because there is suffering and evil in this world, things can get chaotic. They can get messy, and it can become very difficult to focus on something. In 2005, there was a researcher by the name of Martin Siegelman, and he did a a survey with a bunch of people. And what he had them do is he had them at the end of every day, they had to write down three good things that happened that day. And it was part of this, and they did it for six months. They had to write down three good things that happened that day. And at the end of six months, they retested all of the people in in the test, and all of them had higher levels of happiness and gratitude and lower levels of depression because they chose what they thought about. I know that I am quoting to you a study that was done by someone who is not a Christian. I am someone who continues to believe that honest science always support scripture. And so if you look at this, this is a scripture idea. Philippians 4, 8 says, fix your thoughts on what is true. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. What does the Bible say? The Bible says, choose your thoughts. You make a decision. You choose what you think about it. And when you make that choice, 
choose something that is good and lovely and pure and admirable and think on these things. Resilient people are able to choose what they focus on. As we open a new series today, I want to express the objectives of our six weeks that we're going to take to walk through the book of 1 Thessalonians. I believe that God wants you to have a resilient heart, a resilient mind, and a resilient faith. I don't believe that God has designed us to be weak. I don't believe that he has designed us to fall over every time the wave comes in from the shore. When Jesus describes the church, he describes it as a stone, as a building, as a deeply rooted tree. We are to be a resilient people, and in this study, we're going to switch out the word resilient with the word unshakable and say that God wants you to have an unshakable heart, an unshakable mind, and an unshakable faith. So as we lean into the book of 1 Thessalonians today, the tie together with the message that Mandy preached last week is just phenomenal. If you weren't here last week, Mandy closed up our last series, God is Calling You, with a look into a man named Saul who had an amazing transformation into a man named Paul who became the first great missionary of the church. And the timing, if you follow the events of what we studied last week to what happens this week, there's just a couple years in between. Because the very first church that Paul plants is in a city called Thessalonica, Greece. And so Thessalonians would be the name of the people who live in Thessalonica. So if I wrote a book to my old church in Phoenix, Arizona, I would title it First Phoenicians. Paul is out. He is traveling with his missionary companion, Silas, and the two of them are ready to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And one of the first cities they go to is this city in Thessalonica, Greece. The things you should know about this city, it was a very large city, and it was so large that it was filled with a lot of people that were Greek, but it was also filled with a lot of people that were Jewish. There were enough Jewish people in this city that they had their own synagogue. A synagogue would be like the church for people of a Jewish faith, people who believed in the God of Abraham, but did not believe that Jesus was God. So Paul shows up into the city as a Jewish person, comes into this church, And it was part of the habits of that time that you could have guest speakers, like we would have guest speakers. And so Paul shows up and says, hey, I have some things that I would like to share. And Paul was a Jewish teacher. And so they said, sure, come on up. It's going to be your turn to preach. And Paul preaches in this synagogue for three weeks. And in those three weeks, the most amazing thing happens because of the amazing things that Paul says. Because Paul gets up in front of this group of Jewish believers and he starts saying some crazy stuff. He says, I believe the Messiah has already come. I believe that Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah. I believe that Jesus died on the cross and then three days later, he came back to life. He rose from the grave with the power to forgive sins, the power to change our eternal outcomes. And Paul starts saying this mind-shattering information, and he finds a phenomenally receptive audience in Thessalonica, Greece. And these Jewish people move towards the truth of Jesus Christ, 
and they are really really excited about it. It's so exciting that it's not even just Jewish people. There are Greek people in the city who hear of what's going on in this church, and so they come over to go, we hear about this guy who's preaching this thing about Jesus Christ. They come in, and Greek people join in faith of Jesus Christ. And you have, in this amazingly short period of time, the first international church plant in Thessalonica, Greece, three weeks old, Paul has made a church, and then things go crazy really, really fast. So there are people in the church, the Jewish people who once had the power, who then become jealous of Paul, who then become concerned, and so they decide to go to the city council of Thessalonica and say, hey, Paul's committing treason. It's treason because he is placing this King Jesus above Caesar this is dangerous, this is a military uprising, you need to get rid of him. And so the leaders of the town go and literally chase Paul and Silas out of Thessalonica three weeks after they got there. The book of 1 Thessalonians is the first thing that we hear Paul write to the church after he left. Does that make sense? So there's this tiny baby church plant that is three weeks old. Paul and Silas have to flee from it and now we get to figure out what happens next as Paul writes back to this baby church plant in Thessalonica, Greece. Let's start reading tonight in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1. This letter is from Paul, Silas, and Timothy. We are writing to the church in Thessalonica. To you who belong to God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, may God give you grace and peace we always thank God for all of you and pray for you constantly. As we pray to our God and Father about you, we think of your faithful work, your loving deeds, and the enduring hope you have because of our Lord Jesus Christ. Things in Thessalonica are going great. Apparently, things are going really, really well. Can you imagine leaving something after three weeks? I mean, can you imagine starting a new business and three weeks later walking in and being like, okay, Good luck, guys. I'm out. I mean, think of a little three-week-old baby, right? Like, hey, the formula's in the cabinet, so I'm, I'm going to hop out. You, you got this. This thing could have shut down in a moment. It could have been gone in a moment. And here is Paul sending a letter back saying, I hear good news. I hear some wonderful things are happening with this church. And he lists three things here in this, the sentence that we just read. He says, um, I, I see that you have your faithful work, your loving deeds, and the enduring hope. That's a compliment. If anyone walked up to you and said, hey, you have enduring hope. I want to be someone who endures. I want to be someone who has this bright hope that cannot be held back. This church is not locked in the basement trying to just hold things together. This church is growing. They are active. They are seeing good things happen. And the proof of the good work that God is doing is evident. Everybody can see it. Everyone is hearing about it. Let's read on. Here's verse 4. We know, dear brothers and sisters, that God loves you and has chosen you to be his own people. For when we brought you the good news, it was not only with words, but it was also with power. For the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we said was true. And you know of our concern for you from the way we lived when we were with you. I love how Paul pauses for a moment here and makes sure we're giving credit to the right person. 
Because it could happen, right? If you think that Paul was able to preach three sermons and start this amazing church, you might be tempted to go, wow, Paul must be a, a really great preacher. And Paul says, no, no, no. We need to make sure we're giving credit to the right person. I just spoke words, but it was because of the work of the Holy Spirit that something took root, that something happened and changed. It is the same prayer that me and Mandy pray about this service every single Wednesday night, is that words fall flat, but when the Holy Spirit starts speaking in a room, when the Holy Spirit starts moving hearts, calling people towards him, adjusting us to look a little bit more like Christ, that's where the work is done, and that's the work that happened in Thessalonica. This is what happened to start the church. But yet I'm still stuck with this question because there's a lot of things that have a good start. What I really want to know is what happened next. How did they survive? They aren't sitting back fearful of what's going on. This church is moving forward, and how did they pull that off? Paul tells us as we continue reading. So, you receive the message with joy from the Holy Spirit in spite of the severe suffering it brought you. Whoa. And there it is, the suffering. The author I mentioned in our opening, her name's Lucy Hone, and uh, she studied resiliency for many years, and she was very well-respected in her field, but then it wasn't until about five years ago that her 12-year-old daughter died in an, uh, a tragic car accident. And suffering sometimes shows up. It almost expectedly shows up. I understand there might be someone in the room who thinks I'm striking too dark of a tone. One of my favorite movie quotes is from the cartoon movie Inside Out. And there's a scene where uh, the character Sadness says, we're going to get lost. And the character Joy says, come on, be positive. And the character Sadness replies, I'm positive we're going to get lost. <laughs> As Christian people, we are not positive that we will avoid suffering. We are positive that we will find joy in spite of suffering. That is the miracle of the church of the Thessalonians. It was not that they were dodging suffering. It was that they were finding joy in the Holy Spirit in spite of suffering. And if you want to look at this and ask the question, how did they pull this off? How did this church survive in an unthinkable situation with three weeks start time and your lead pastor running out the door fearful of his life? How did you pull this off? Paul says, I'll tell you how they pulled it off. They found joy through the Holy Spirit in spite of suffering. This was a resilient church. This was a unshakable church. And what happens next blows my mind. 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 6 through 8. In this way, you imitated both us and the Lord. As a result, you have become an example to all the believers in Greece throughout both Macedonia and Achaia. And now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere, even beyond Macedonia and Achaia. Wherever we go, we find people telling us about your faith in God. This is brilliant. 
This is like your grandma revealing to you the secret recipe of her chocolate chip cookies. This is how it happens. This is how the great work of the gospel happens. This is how the good news spreads. And it happens through imitation. So if I think about it like this, I've got a circle in the middle. And in it, I have the unshakable nature of Jesus Christ. His ability to find joy in spite of suffering. His ability to be purposeful, to be driven. His ability to achieve the will of his Father in spite of suffering, in spite of the cruelest opposition that could be imagined, in spite of death itself. Jesus was victorious over the grave. And who I have next to Jesus as I have these two guys. I've got Paul and Silas. And what are they doing? He tells us they are imitating Christ. They are seeing his pattern, and they are acting out what they know from Jesus, from the teaching they receive, from the relationship they have, to be like Christ, to be imitators of this unshakable nature. And in this, they figure it out. And who follows them? The Thessalonians follow them. And that's what he says. He says, how did this work? How did you find joy in the Holy Spirit in spite of suffering? Well, as we imitated Jesus, you imitated Jesus and us, and in this game of imitation, the witness just became stronger. You became unshakable. You became strong. You were not able to be knocked over. There was nothing who could stop you and keep you back. And then what happens, he names these two other cities. He names Achaia and Macedonia. And uh, these were large cities in Greece, and essentially one of them was in the southern part of Greece and one was in the northern part of Greece. And what he's saying is he's saying the, the north part of your country and the south part of your country, guess what they're doing now? They're imitating you. They saw what you're doing. They see that you have found joy in the Holy Spirit in spite of suffering. And they said, who should we try and be like? Let's be like that church in Thessalonica. Let's be like them. They look unshakable. They look unstoppable. If we can be like them, that would be a good thing. And the last line of this is Paul says, and then we've been hearing about you from where? From, he uses the word, everywhere. <laughs> we've just been hearing about you from everywhere, that from the unshakable nature of Jesus, through Paul and Silas, through the church in Thessalonica, through Macedonia and Achaia, to everywhere. People are seeing the testimony of Christ, and they are seeing his unshakable nature. They are imitating it, and they are growing inside of themselves an unshakable heart, an unshakable mind, and an unshakable faith. Being unshakable is something worth imitating. I think we have all been blessed in this life to know someone, to have seen something that inspired us something that we believe was worth imitating. And I would argue that there is no one who's ever walked the face of this planet worth more imitating than Jesus himself, of his nature, that we could lean into his nature and be like that. I want to forecast a little bit of what this series is going to feel like over the next five weeks, and that we are going to look at what the Church of Thessalonians did. We are going to imitate them and as we imitate them, I believe that God is going to give us an unshakable heart, an unshakable mind, and an unshakable faith. As we get ready to close tonight, I want to pause, and I want to almost step backwards to where we started off tonight. And I want to think a little bit of the suffering that has been endured 
in this room, and I, I know that when we, we talk about those things, I know that it can be very uncomfortable. I know that there are things that have happened in our lives, things that were either in our control or out of our control, um, that can be things that feel really good to just put into a closet and close the door and never open up the closet. I believe that God has a greater healing for you. Um, I don't believe that our path as Christians is to avoid suffering. I think our path as Christians is to find joy in spite of suffering. As we close today, I just wanted to take a moment to pray with you and almost um, invite you to hold that for a moment and ask that prayer of what is it that God can do in your, in your heart to bring an unshakable faith. I don't want to be the person who is locked up in my house in fear, staying away, locking people out, locking future plans out, locking future people out because of suffering that we've endured. I want to be someone who is finding joy in the Holy Spirit in spite of suffering. And I want to just offer this prayer for you tonight. As we pray, I pray that there are healing moments for you in your heart. When, when we hit those those blackout moments, those things that happen in our lives where it just seems like the blinds are shut and every light has been turned off. There are things that the God does through his miraculous love where it's like a window gets cracked open and suddenly there seems to be a way out, a designed way out that God has made for you, a path that he has made for you to show you, I love you and I have a plan for you and you're not done yet. And I would pray that even as we sit here in this space tonight, that God would maybe open some of those things for you in your heart, that God would remind you that he's not done with your heart and that there is hope. There is hope and there is joy in the Holy Spirit in spite of suffering. Let's pray. Lord, I love you. I thank you that you're here in this room tonight. Holy Spirit, I invite you into this space. I invite you to be into our thoughts as we open that closet and consider some of the things that we have endured. I know there's people that stood up one time at the beginning of the service, and I know there's people who stood up essentially for all five things. And I pray, God, that you would minister to our heart. I pray that you would give us um, courage for the things that are in front of us. I pray that you would give us hope to know that we are not forgotten and to know that your plans are above our plans I pray, Lord, that you would give us joy. Allow us to choose joy and to be with you and to see that there is a way out. I pray, God, for those who may feel very shaken tonight. I pray that you would develop in them through the power of your Holy Spirit an unshakable heart. I pray, God, that through this next six weeks that you would allow our strength to grow. We want to be a resilient church. We want to be people who have a resiliency in our jobs and our families and in our personal walk with you, that we would be able to be the strong tower that you've called us to be. We love you. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for the sweet presence of worship in this place tonight. And I pray that you would continue to give us your strength and your mind. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us for the Life Together podcast. It's even better when we get to see you in person. You are invited to join us on Wednesday evenings here at Oak Creek Assembly of God. 
We are a church that exists to reach our world for Christ as we lead people to discover and become who God has created them to be. Find us online at oakcreekag.org.